0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening. And I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So if you've been in any kind of relationship, you've had fights before, Um, there's conflict, there's stuff you got to work out. So early in um, my wife and I's, our marriage, we had a scheduling conflict and we just didn't see eye to eye. So like there, you know, there's those conflicts where it's like somebody gives in. um, It's just like, okay, yeah, I see it. We'll do it your way. But none of us Felt that way, and we kind of have personalities where that happens from time to time. Where I see it one way, she sees it the other way, and there's kind of no way forward. And so, we had a scheduling conflict, and it was just kind of one of those things where you're, you leave it with like fine and you each go your separate ways. You know what I'm talking about? So, I did my thing, she did her thing, and um, the event that I was at ended up running along, and my phone died, and I didn't call her. And so, you know, you have those conflicts where it's like, okay, this is manageable. You know, we'll talk it through. It's fine. We disagree. But then you have something on top of that that escalates the whole thing. And so the thing that escalated the whole thing was my phone going dead. Me not giving her any heads up. I would be like an hour and a half late. And so I roll in um, way later than I had planned on. And I'll never forget. It's our town home. I open the door. And when you open the door, it goes right to the top of the stairs. And my wife and my um, little girl, who's very young at the time, are both at the top of the stairs crying. Obviously, it had been a very rough night. And my wife was so mad. And this is going to, you know, this will, anyway, I ran this by her. But her retaliatory response was that she sat down and deleted every single one of my shows off of what was then the DVR to savagely get back at me for being home late and not clearing it with her and the whole thing. And I just just think about that for a second. Like, I don't know if you could do it, bundle it or one by one, but how maniacal one by one to like, I'm just going to stick it like the knife in and twist it. And so um, that's how uh, we manage uh, conflict. So good you came to this series. Uh, I'll tell you everything I know. But here's here's what I want to do because we've all had conflict. But think about the awkward relationship, the broken relationship, the relationship where there's tension. And that could be a friend. That could be a family member. It could be like the dude at work. It could be, you know, your in-law. I mean, these run the gamut of relationships. But just think about that relationship in the past or maybe it's present. And, and then think about this because I know you've thought it, but we wouldn't say it out loud. But generally in those relationships, our thought process is if they would just see it your way, everything would be okay right? Like if they would just, I mean, it's so clear to you, but if they would just see it your way, everything would be okay. Like we could solve this. We could get through this. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm really going to address the question behind the question that you've been asking for years in those tension-filled relationships. And the question is this, what's wrong with those people, right? Like, what's wrong with them? Like, why do they not see it? Why is there such a lack of clarity? So actually, the title of the series, which I didn't want to promote publicly, is actually this, how to get people to see things your way. (laughs) Because that's why you're here, right? Like, that's why you came to the series. That's why you prioritize today, even in the rain. Because until they do, they're just in the way. Until they do, like they're, they're messing up family functions, there's awkwardness, there's, they're holding up progress. And if they would just see it your way, everything would be okay, right? I mean, that's, and so for over the next couple of weeks, we'll just talk about that. If you have a ninth grader who is not doing anything with biology and you know they need a good GPA to get where you want them to get, we'll talk about how to convince them to do what you want them to do. Or if you've got like a, you know, don't amen on this or make eye contact with anybody, but if you have a mother-in-law or a mother who is constantly criticizing your house or your parenting, we'll talk about how to convince them to knock it off so that you can invite them over more often. Or if you've got like a brother and maybe you went sideways three Christmases ago and there's still tension, we'll just talk about like how do you convince them that he's wrong and then fix the relationship. Like, like, how do you get there? So over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about, so to jump in to um, this whole series, to get people to see things your way, and then hopefully apologize, because that's the goal. Get them to see it your way, and then get them to apologize for what they've done. You really need to master the, the tools of what I would call effective relational management. And here's the thing, you just need to remember this. People love to be managed. Like people love when you manage them, like it works. And so here is what I would call the C4 approach to relational management. And this is also a common um, plastic explosive, but that is purely coincidental. So, th- but for real, this approach, what I'm about to give you, this brings people together. I mean, more, more accurately, it brings people to your side to see the world the way that you see it, because that's generally what we need to happen. So here's the four components. You Ready? Convince, convict, coerce, control. Just say it with me, real quick, so everybody's on the same page. We're talking about this for three weeks. Convince, convict, coerce, control. So for the next couple of weeks, any of you are like, "Why well, doubt the effectiveness of this whole thing?" Well, just think about how effective it has been in bringing our nation together. Like this works. This is a big deal. So that's what we're going to talk about for three weeks. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. Now, just quick pause. Do any of these draw people closer together around you? Do any of these draw relationships closer together? No. In fact, it draw. and for some of you, are really nervous where I was going with this series. Um, so hopefully you get sarcasm. If not, I'll get emails. Like, I can't believe. But like, it, it, it repels people. In fact, like people resist every single one of those things. And yet in relationships, I and mean, this is just truth, that we almost gravitate toward intuitively these four mechanisms of convince, convict, coerce, and control. And then in a lot of cases, in the attempt to somehow bring a relationship together, we repel somebody. In an attempt to manage the tension in relationship, we actually make the relationship worse. And it's kind of the first thing that we reach for. And then when nothing works, and the relationship's not any better, and they haven't changed and seen it our way, we start to say things like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I tried. They, like, they, I just I don't care anymore. Or we continue to try to fix it the wrong way, which drives them away. And the thing is, as you look from the outside of certain relationships. I mean, sometimes you've had this thought of like, it shouldn't be this hard. I mean, some are hard and, and irreparable, which we'll talk about. But others, you're like, it shouldn't be this hard to fix this. But it is. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to do it. Now, the actual title of the series, For Real, is Reassembly Required, a Beginner's Guide to repairing broken relationships. And what I want to look at over the next couple of weeks, and, and there's several layers to this. So generally I go to a passage and I chop it up quite a bit. And I'm not going to do that today. So if you're like, where's all the Bible, come back in the next two weeks. But I want to give enough context that you really understand where we're going. Because for a lot of you, you've heard some of this before, but it hasn't made a difference. You've heard some of this before. And yet the go-to mechanisms for our relational healing is still convict, coerce, control, in some cases manipulate. So I want to give several decisions that have the potential to pave the way to reconciliation with other people. Because here's the thing. Relationship in some ways are like cars. Like we're good at starting them. We're good at driving them. We are not good at repairing them. At least I'm speaking for myself. Because starting a relationship, that's almost intuitive. We just kind of stumble into that. Everybody can start a relationship. But you know, keeping a relationship going, that's only, you know, partly intuitive. But then when you start talking about fixing a relationship, repairing a relationship, that's not intuitive at all. In fact, like it is so easy and it's why we reach almost intuitively to the wrong things or the wrong mechanisms to try to fix, to try to repair around, convince, coerce, convict, and control. And then we wonder why the relationship isn't getting any better, so let, let me give you a couple examples real quick of what I'm talking about, because here's the thing. When we leverage those mechanisms, we don't even realize it, but the person who is receiving it realizes it almost immediately. Like here's one kind of controlling statement that we don't even see, we don't even think about, and it's this. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm, and again, we don't, we don't think it's controlling, but as a receiver, they receive it that way because here's the translation. You're too easily offended. What I said wouldn't have offended most people, which implies you're just immature. And the fact that that offended you. So I will, I'll apologize if I offended you. But really the fact that you're offended is the fact that you're a little bit too immature. And so I just apologized to you, but I actually insulted you in the process. And yet the person who is delivering is like, well, I'm just trying to fix the relationship. I'm just trying to make it better. Here's another, um, and this is the part of the 9 a.m. where it got really quiet too, so it's fine. The nervous energy is palpable in the room. Here's the kind of convicting, coercive uh, statement that we don't ever think about. I said I'm sorry, why are you still upset? Like I said, I said I was sorry, which translation, I've done my part. You should be fine, and since you're not fine, clearly something is wrong with you, right? Right? Like basically, I, I did what I needed to do. I tried to fix a relationship. I apologize. Why aren't we where we were before? And the fact that we're not means that there is just something wrong with you. You need to figure it out. You need to see more clearly. It, it's why. Getting into a relationship, intuitive. Trying to fix a relationship, trying to repair a relationship, trying to figure out the way forward when things are bad. It is not intuitive at all because reassembling any relationship reassembling a broken relationship specifically is a learned skill. And for a lot of us, we just don't know the way forward. And it's why, if you look back to some of your past relationships, I know there's some nervous laughter in the room, but you have tried to convince and convict and coerce and control, and it hasn't worked. hasn't made anything different because rebuilding broken relationships is a learned skill. And for a lot of us, we were never taught it For a lot of people in our culture, it wasn't modeled for us. I mean, maybe you grew up in a home where you just kind of saw this from your parents, and there's some issue with an aunt or an uncle, and you saw the thing drag on for years. And you're on the outside of it, and you're like, why don't you just reach out? Why don't you just send a text? Why don't you just do something? Like, it just doesn't seem that difficult. And yet they were in this place where they couldn't even see a way forward. They had no idea what to do next. And then it started into this weird avoidance behavior among family members where they started asking questions like this. Well, when are they coming? How long are they staying? Can we just kind of, you know, pass them by in the entryway and go our way? And like, you know, all, or they play the, the avoid eye contact at weddings and graduation game. And come on, isn't it true that in those relationships where there's avoidance and there's tension and, and from the outside and other people do it to you as well, you're like, why don't you just reach out? Why doesn't somebody just send a text? Why don't you at least have a conversation around this? And then something happens where tragedy strikes, a mutual friend maybe passes away, some kind of like really difficult season that affects everybody takes place. And isn't it crazy? I know you've experienced this. We're almost... Immediately, all of the relational tension, all of the conflict gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And nothing even changed in terms of relationship. Nobody had a conversation. But with what happened around it and the events around it made that incident pale in comparison. And all of a sudden it just starts to get smaller. And what you will find through tragedy and death and you know, family issues is all of a sudden people start saying and doing things in those relationships where they push past their, their emotion and they push past the discomfort. And they start to say and do things that they should have said and done years ago. But that event, that incident becomes the catalyst for it. But in the process, they lost years of relationship because they settled for sitting back and waiting and rehearsing and avoiding. And we've all been there. And and here's the thing, just to get you to think about this a different way. You end up waiting for the other person to do what you should do. And here's what I mean by that. Generally, for a lot of us, when we tell the story about that relational conflict, that brokenness, that awkwardness, when we tell it, it's always their fault, right? That's just how you tell the story. It's their fault or it's 90% their fault. I'll own 10% of it. We'll talk about that next week, but it's their fault. So under that logic, if that's how you tell the story, maybe it's true, but if it's their fault, then you're the better person in the scenario that you tell people, Correct. Because it's their fault. You're the better person. So shouldn't the better person initiate the opportunity or the chance at repair or reconciliation in the relationship? Because you've already decided that you're the better person, and yet you're waiting around for them. Now, here's the thing that I know as I um, teach this series, which is why I want to take a lot of time today um, without getting too much into one passage. Because I want to unpack this, and I want to give some kind of contextual um you know, evidence about where we're going because this is so emotional and there's so many layers to this. And I can't speak for everybody. I think this is really emotional for men because the moment we think about some of this stuff coming to the, the surface for us, immediately, a lot of times there's this fear or we're terrified of like, I don't know what I'm gonna feel. I don't know how I'm gonna respond. I don't know how I'm gonna react. In fact, for some of you, you grew up in homes where that was the case with your dad or your father and they just, they just shut it down for years. There's just places they wouldn't go. There's excuses that were made in the process. And so, what I wanna do as we kind of set up the series is I wanna give you a couple, like, set your expectations for the series. And I wanna take the pressure off around reassembling broken relationships or trying to reconcile broken relationships, because this is really, really important. So, this is gonna sound counter to everything I just said, but I'll explain what I mean. This is what's really important for you to understand, and this is where you need to take the pressure off. Here is the goal. The goal for this series is not reconciliation. The goal for this series is not reconciliation. And here's why? Because unlike your broken iPhone, and unlike a broken toy that your kids destroyed because they thought it was fun, unlike like a broken dish, you don't have all the pieces. You don't control the outcomes. You don't have the capability of putting it all back together. It is not within your capacity. And here's what is so important for you to understand if you're checking out online or you started shopping via Amazon or you're on Facebook in the room right now. Just real quick. And then you can do all that. This is so important for you to understand. You should pray toward reconciliation. You should work toward reconciliation. But the goal in any relationship is not reconciliation. And I'll tell you why. This is just a little tip. Never set a goal for another adult. Don't ever set a goal for another adult. Set goals for you. That's amazing. Some of you, I mean, you knocked it out of the park with your goals on January 1, all of them have flamed out already, but keep going, keep trying, all right? Set goals for you. Don't set goals for somebody else. And I'll tell you why, because a goal is an agenda. And the moment you have an agenda for another relationship, you undermine the relationship. Because agendas undermine relationships. And so you should work toward reconciliation. You should pray toward reconciliation, but the goal cannot be reconciliation because the goal will actually undermine any possibility of reconciliation ever happening because nobody works well under agendas. Just think about it for a second. This is a rhetorical question. I talked to several people as they were coming out. I was like, I was with people at the 9 a.m. and I was just, it was hard to stare straight ahead. Stare straight ahead, all right, if the relational conflict is sitting beside you. Here's a question. Do you enjoy people who have an agenda for you? I said it was rhetorical, but actually, I'm going to let you answer because we know the answer to the question. Do you enjoy people who have an agenda for you? No. An agenda is like a third party in a relationship. I mean, if we were to be honest, for maybe some of you have adult kids. This is the reason they check their phone or their watch a thousand times at your house because they, they can't wait to leave because there's an agenda. And any time there is an agenda, the agenda undermines and sabotages the relationship. Let me ask you one more uncomfortable question. Do you enjoy people who evaluate and judge you? Let me ask you one more time because I think you're more sure of the answer than what you gave me. Do you enjoy people who evaluate and judge you? No. No no human being loves that or desires that, which is why you have to understand the goal is not reconciliation. You can't set a goal for another adult. You you can't undermine and sabotage the relationship. That cannot be the goal. The goal, and this is so important, the goal is no regrets. The goal is that you've done Everything imaginable, everything that is possible in that relationship, that you have removed every unnecessary barrier or obstacle for the chance of that relationship, if there is even a chance of that relationship being healed. And here's the reality for all of us. And th- what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is, is for you to learn how to take the pressure off of somebody else so it at least gives the opportunity that they will move toward reconciliation because here's the, the reality with all of us. It's our job to at least try to move toward reconciliation when it's possible, regardless of who's to blame and regardless of who's at fault. Which leads me to this. If you're asking the question, oh, well, why are we even talking about this in church? Here's why we're talking about this in church. Here's why this is a big deal. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, this isn't optional. This is the whole message. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus online, radio, we have so many people who are investigating. I say this all the time, but I want to say it again because maybe you haven't heard me say it. If you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to do any of this. One of my massive pet peeves, and it was for Paul in the New Testament, is that Christians are churches who will try to impose Jesus standards on people who didn't decide to follow Jesus. And Paul, in my paraphrase in the New Testament, is like, knock it off. If they didn't decide to follow Jesus, they're not accountable to any of this. So you're not accountable to this. But what we're about to talk about is gonna help you. But if you're a Jesus follower, there's a higher level of accountability. Here's the reality. Reconciliation is at the center, the epicenter of the Christian faith. In fact, following Jesus is all about the restoration of relationship. It's God entering into human flesh as Jesus. And his great redemptive story was a story of redemption where he drew near this rebel race. And here's what's incredibly important he didn't just stop at forgiveness. He went all the way to open the door for the possibility of reconciliation and restored relationship. But even God couldn't control that because God removed every obstacle to you having a relationship with him other than your decision to say yes. Everybody's got a choice. God's not going to force his way on anybody. But he says to us, this is what I did for you. This is what I modeled. And this is what I'm inviting you into. And I wasn't content to just forgive because forgiveness is half the equation. Because isn't it true? I can forgive you, but never make any attempt at reconciliation. Reconciliation, Jesus would say throughout the New Testament, is the win in relationship with God and in relationship with other people. But it is so unbelievably hard. One of the things that's happened over the last so many decades, and really goes back further than that, is that the big capital C church, meaning like global church, one of the things that we have done is conveniently separated these two. And the reason that we've separated reconciliation and forgiveness is because reconciliation is t- so unbelievably inconvenient. And here's the thing, forgiveness is not easy, but it is easier in most cases than reconciliation because I can, you know, I can forgive and I hold all the cards, I control the process, I control the outcomes, But when you start talking about reconciliation, I'm not in control of anything. And so the church or Christianity has conveniently reduced it all to forgiveness. God forgives me. I forgave you. I'm good to go. And yet the only problem with that is it reduces relationship to God where we're always looking up and we're never looking around. And you hear me talk about this all the time to where you're probably tired of me saying it, but is that not the problem with our culture? And is that not the problem with other people who look at Christians and name the name of Jesus and they have all of this theology and they read their Bible every day they're like, I think God loves me. I am moral. I am amazing. I know a lot of theology. I attend church. And then they treat people however they want to their right and left and other in the culture looks at them to go, you look nothing like Jesus and yet you claim to be a follower of Jesus. Why do they do that? Because they have reduced Jesus down to a vertical. I check some boxes. I think God's happy and I can treat you however I want to. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way of the gospel. Now, if you want good relationship with God, if you want to know what pleases God, you can't just look up to God. You have to look to your neighbor, to your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you. And that will tell you everything you need to know about where you're at in relationship with God. And for so long, the church has separated the two. And the reason that we've done that, just to let you in on a little secret, is because it's easier. Just forgive. Good with God. Go your way. And you never have to wade into the comfortable, uncomfortableness of, of how do I move in the direction of another person? But you read the Gospels and you, you'll see that God was not content to simply forgive. For God, through Jesus, forgiveness was a means to an end. God forgave in order to remove every unnecessary barrier to relationship which was our sin, our dysfunction, our past, all of the things that we did not see clearly. The end or the win was reconciliation and relationship with our heavenly father. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he commi- like you've heard this command, Jesus commanded every single one of his followers, hey, if you guys forget this, and I know it's gonna get crazy, and I know you're gonna get busy, and your kids are gonna have sports, and you're gonna have crazy neighbors that you're not gonna like, and it's gonna be an election year, but that's not gonna give you an out. I want you to love other people the way I've loved you. I want you to do for other people as I've loved you in every season, in every generation, no matter how much of an idiot your neighbor is, even when it's an election year, I want you to follow my example. And I was not just content to forgive. I went the extra mile to reconcile relationship. This is what Paul said at the end of one of his writings to a a church in the first century in Philippians chapter two, verse five. And here's what Paul said, and this is so important. In your, what? Relationships with who? Who? And again cuz we tend to in me too I'm not I'm not calling you out but we tend to want to gravitate toward loopholes and workarounds and like what is he actually saying? So Paul which ones are you talking about? And Paul's like all of them. Which relationships? All of them. Work HOA people There's some history in the room with HOA. Some PTA moms like the, your in-law, your mother-in-law, your, your friend, the brother that three years ago, like Christmas went sideways. I mean, every, in, the person that you're living with in your home right now and you really can't stand living with them. Uh, the person in your community group, you're sitting next to them in church. It doesn't matter. In your relationships with one another, it's all of them have the same, what? Mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul's like, listen, in your relationships, I want you to approach them the way that your heavenly father approached you through Jesus. I want you to approach them the way your heavenly father approached you and moved in your direction. And the question is, what was Jesus' mindset? Do you remember the parable Some of you, I mean, others of you may not know it and that's fine, but the parable of the 100 sheep and one sheep wanders off and gets out of the pen and just goes on a hike somewhere. And so there's 99 sheep left. And that in our cultural context means nothing unless you're a sheep farmer. And I don't wanna, if you are a sheep farmer, I don't wanna be offensive. But for a lot of us in our culture, you're like, well, I mean, even if 30 of them got ran over by a bus, I'd still have 70 sheep, right? I mean, like, they just don't mean a lot. But one sheep goes away and Jesus is like, I'm gonna go after the one sheep. And yet our response to that, if we don't know the end of that story and how Jesus tells it, we're like, I mean, for one sheep, I've got 99. And honestly, it's the sheep's fault. So if the sheep is going to go rogue, that's fine. We'll welcome when he comes back. But I'm not going after the sheep. It's his fault. Or when the sheep sees clearly that you can't leave the pen, okay? That's rule 101, kind of dumb. So when you see clearly, when you come back, when you recognize your mistake and you stop going over the other valley, we will welcome you with open arms, but we're not going to do it until then. And yet over and over again, Jesus would get in trouble because this was kind of his modus operandi in the first century, where he would constantly invite himself over to the homes of sinners and tax collectors, pimps, prostitutes, and prodigals. And all of the religious leaders would be in the windows outside going, why is he eating with these people? Why is he opening good wine with them? And he doesn't even seem to be wagging his finger in their face. He seems to be having a good time. What in the world is he doing with sinners? And Jesus' whole response was, because I." I move in the direction of the unreconciled. I will leave the 99, peace out, and I'll go after the one every single time because that's the entire gospel and that's what God did for you. In fact, this is Jesus' response. Because our response is, no, no, no. You've got to wait till they come to their senses and move in your direction and then maybe we can have a conversation. That is, I'm not trying to be harsh, that is the the essence of what so much of Western church culture is predicated around. When all of those people see the errors of their way in condescending tones and come in, we'll be more than glad to welcome them. That's not how Jesus approached anybody. This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. It's not the healthy relationships that need repaired. It's the one that are Hanging on by a thread. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And I've not come, Jesus said, to call the righteous. And maybe a more accurate translation would be for some of us, I've not come to call the people who think that they're righteous. But sinners to repentance, which just simply means that they would change their mind about God and begin to follow Jesus. And here's the reality about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Jesus could have just forgiven at arm's length. He's Jesus. He could have just waved and declared forgiven. And Instead, Jesus condescended into human flesh and he gave up his life because love must be shown to be known. Love must be demonstrated to be authenticated. And Jesus came into human flesh to show his great love through a great and a necessary sacrifice. And rather than forgiving at arm's length, He moved in the direction to reconcile. And here's the reality. Reassembling requires moving in the direction of the unreconciled. And if you choose to follow Jesus, I mean actually follow Jesus, that's what you're choosing to do. That's what you're choosing to sign on to. But this is so important. The goal is not reconciliation. The goal is no regrets. The goal is, is that we would remove every barrier possible to reconciliation because the reality is, we'll talk about more in the series, there's a ton of relationships that will never be reconciled. There is a ton of relationships that will never be repaired. I've been through the process of of forgiving or asking forgiveness and doing everything I could to move in the direction of repairing and until it became clear that that repair was not necessary and I, I or was not necessarily um, possible and I moved away with peace I moved away with forgiveness in my heart I moved away good with God and yet still not able to pursue that relationship because that's just the nature of reconciliation it is out of your control, it's not the goal you can't set an agenda, all you can do is do everything you Can to remove every barrier to the possibility, just the way Jesus has done for you. The goal is that you would do everything possible, which we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks. But here's what I want you to do until then. Here's I'm I'm going to close for now. I want you to think about a question, and I want you to think about a decision. And here's the question: In that relationship where there's tension, that thing where there's brokenness, and that that you know interpersonal relationship where there just is no way forward, I, I just want you to begin to think about answering this question. What is stopping you? In that relationship where there is so much at play, What's stopping you? And then here's what I want you to do real quick is whatever your immediate answer is, I want you to set it, set it aside temporarily. That immediate thing of every time I go to text, here's why I don't. Every time I go to reach out, every time I, I see them, I just you know pass them and there's just an awkward glance, but here's what they did. Here's why I don't. Here's why I always stop short. So whatever your immediate reason is, I want you to set it aside temporarily and then I want you to re-ask the question. And here's how I want you to re-ask it. What's stopping you from trying really because here's what's true about human nature. We have a limitless capacity to lie to ourselves. That's not because you know anything is unique about you. That's just human nature. And generally, the initial reason or immediate reason we give is not the real reason. It's why you should always ask yourself questions, assume you're lying to yourself, and then re-ask the question again. So the question is, whatever your immediate reason is, just throw those out for a second. What's stopping you from trying Really? What's stopping you from moving in that direction, really? And then here's what I want you to think about in terms of the decision. And I'm not even asking you to do this right now. So the pressure's off, take a deep breath. But then at some point, as you begin to think about that question, think about the obstacles that are holding you back. You would just think about making, and it is a decision. In that relationship, I wanna begin to move toward getting back to rather than getting back at in that relationship because here's the reality all of us want retribution man we want to pay them back we want to get them back we want them to see what they've done we want them to pay and and again with all of this it's not saying that they don't deserve to that they didn't hurt you maybe it legitimately is 90% them I'm not arguing any of that but I'm just talking human nature is I'm going to get back at I'm going to make sure they see I'm going to make sure they understand and your heavenly father says I'm inviting you into a different way and it is countercultural, and nobody really does it it seems like But I want you to consider as you think about what's stopping you, I want you to consider changing your approach and deciding I'm not gonna get back out. I'm gonna do everything that I can to get back to because that decision will ensure that you don't go halfway. And halfway is forgiveness. That decision will ensure that you at least consider if there is a possibility that I'm gonna go all the way because God did not come to pay you back and God did not stop it. forgiveness with you. God moved all the way to the point to open the door and remove every obstacle for you to say yes to him for repaired relationship and reconciliation with your heavenly father. So as we close, can I give you one prayer that I think might help? And again, you don't have to do any of this, but when you think about that decision of getting back to rather than back at I want you to consider just adding this prayer for a little while and maybe nothing's gonna come of this and you get to the end to go, I'm still not gonna do it, that's fine. But for some of you, this might be the thing that begins to soften and move your heart to the place to go. I'm going to reconsider my approach and the prayer is just this. Heavenly Father, help me to see, fill in the blank, whatever their name is. Help me to see this individual the way that you see them and help me to feel toward What's their name? Put their name in the blank. Help me to feel toward them what you feel. God, help me to see them the way that you see them. And I'm just telling you, this may kind of grate at you the wrong way, but God is not mad at them. You are, and maybe you should be. But here is the posture of our Savior all throughout the New Testament that when it's applied to us is really comforting. God is not mad at broken things. God is brokenhearted. God is brokenhearted by sin because sin breaks people and sin breaks relationships and that is God's heart toward every single individual he is not filled with anger he is filled with brokenness because he knows what sin does and how sin sabotages relationships and so that prayer is God help me to see them because I don't right now I don't like them I hate them help me to see them the way that you see them help me to be more brokenhearted about the broken relationship than I am angry And then help me to feel toward them what you feel toward them. Because I'm telling you, when you begin, when God begins to change your heart and you feel toward them what your heavenly father feels toward them, you will be more apt to begin to move in their direction. And nothing, hear me again, nothing may ever change in the relationship. You'll be changed forever and your heavenly father is inviting you into that, this is the way of following Jesus. And as long as your arms are crossed and you're waiting for them to move in your direction, just hear me for a second. God may never heal the relationship. It may not even be possible. It may not even be wise. That's not my point in the series. But as long as your arms are crossed, waiting for them to move in your direction, just mark it down. God is not done with you. God is not done with us and God is not done with the relationship. And he's inviting you. I want you to follow me. This is what it looks like to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, the same mindset he had toward you. I'm not gonna get back at, I'm gonna get back to. Heavenly Father, help me to see them the way that you see them. Heavenly Father, help me to feel toward them what you feel toward them. That is the best characterization of Jesus relentless, reckless out of control love for us as the song says there's no mountain he won't climb up, there's no wall he won't push down there's nothing that will keep him from doing everything possible to open the door for relationship and reconciliation with you and now he's inviting you I want you to at least open yourself up to doing the same for them would you pray with me Jesus I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment, and I know that this lands in 5,000 different places. I pray for the person that has legitimately done all that they can, that you would invade their heart with your peace. To quote Philippians, you'd stand watch over their heart, mind, and emotions, and you'd give them confidence before you. And then I pray. For many of us where there's just so much emotion that I just stirred up over the last 35 minutes that comes to the forefront of our mind, I just pray that you would give us the grace to understand that whatever you reveal is an invitation to deeper relationship with you and understanding your love and your grace in a more profound way. And so I just pray that whatever you're asking us to do, that you would give us the wisdom to know what that is and that you would give, the, give us the courage to actually do it. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?